Hello friends, welcome to the show. My name is Tom Broback and I'm on a mission to help coaches keep their athletes happy and healthy. I love playing sports growing up. From backyard football to traveling basketball to high school track and field, there is nothing better than being on a team and playing to win a game. Unfortunately, I struggled with health issues and I know your athletes do too. This inspired me to become a physical therapist and sports performance coach. This podcast will help coaches like you learn how to keep your athletes off the bench and in the game. Do you work with female athletes? Do you ever find yourself wondering how you can give more to their athletic development but don't know where to start? Look no farther than the Strong Female Athlete book from my guest today, Erica Suter. The Strong Female Athlete is an evidence-based and experience-based text with a fresh, novel approach for youth female athletes to improve speed, reduce injury, and increase strength. Erica combines her experience as an elite soccer player with her blossoming career as a strength and conditioning coach to help female athletes progress on and off the field. If you are someone who works with female athletes, you need to get this book and of course, listen to this episode to level up your coaching game. You can find more information on the book in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode and being a fan of the Tom Broback podcast. The, the move to Florida was probably one of the scariest things I've done in my life. And after coaching in Maryland for 10 years, it was like, why would I leave that behind when I love my athletes and I was so happy and, and really enjoyed my setup there. But I always told my athletes, the moment you get like comfortable and content with what you're doing is the time you need to level up. So I was like, okay, well, I probably should practice what I preach in my own life. And I had been marinating on the idea of moving for a while, but during the pandemic, it, it was my exit because it exposed how much I could work remotely and I was in a position where I was able to relocate and, of course, come down to Florida and build up in person again and still work remotely full time. And it's it's been an interesting journey because I feel like I'm in my first year ever again. Mm-hmm. And it's nice because no one knows who I am down here and I have to prove myself and do everything I was doing 10 years ago on that first, that first year. So it's been very humbling and, and nice to be in that position again. And it's just, it's a new challenge and I'm, I'm in my thirties now and I'm like, okay, well, I feel like I have to rebuild again. So (laughs) here we go. And the, the athletes down here have been amazing and, the, the soccer community is great. Everyone's really on board with performance training, which has been really cool to see. That's awesome to get that buy-in. When you were transitioning down, did you, obviously you couldn't predict what was going to work and what wasn't. Uh, we can never fully predict our future successes and failures, but did you have a plan in your mind of, okay, I'm going to work on this stuff online and this stuff in person. And did you have that all kind of mapped out in your head or did you kind of hit the ground running and figure out as you go? Yeah, I just kept going with the the remote training and I 
I would say when I moved down, I was 90% remote. And then luckily, and, and this came from just years of having a, an online presence. Luckily, before I came down, I had a few clients in Florida ready to go before I even drove my car down here. Okay. Um, and it was from people who had just followed me. And then when I had emailed my email list that I was moving to Tampa, I had a few people in the area respond and be like, no way. Like, that's so awesome. Like we've been watching your YouTube, like reading your blogs. So I was like, Oh, that's really cool. So um, just all those years of blogging and creating content really paid off. So I just thought that was really neat that people in other States are really following along. It's such a rewarding feeling to all that like hard work. And at the time you probably, you know, you get like 12 likes on something or like 15 views and you're like, yeah. gosh, I got to keep working here. And then years and years down the road, like the numbers keep getting bigger, but maybe the feeling doesn't change. Like, okay, now I have 500 views or I have a thousand likes, but like, you're still working hard, still working hard. And then something like that happens where it's like, wow, all this work paid off because I'm starting fresh, but I'm not really new to it because I have all this experience and all this work I've put in kind of give me a step ahead moving to a different part of the country. So that's awesome to hear that your online presence has paid off um, and to transition over. Because sometimes I think for us that we do things in person and we do them online, sometimes we keep them completely separate, but it's nice when one of them really benefits the other and it just kind of fuels to, to keep working at both. Because it's really easy to forget about social media. It's really easy to forget about the in-person stuff. But for you, it seems like you've done a great job of tying those together to not only help yourself and your business and your personal growth, but the success of your athletes that you work with as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's been huge. And I, I think it's been good for attracting the clients I want as well. Uh, I don't necessarily want to attract so many people and like all these people who follow me if they're not on board with the message. So a lot of the people who reached out before I moved to Tampa, they knew exactly what I was about. They knew that I preach long-term athletic development. They know what I expect from them without seeing what my paperwork was when I got down here. So it was cool because they knew what they were going to get from me. And they also knew what I expected from them. So it, it was cool to just have that alignment in the, the client and trainer relationship. And that's the reward too, of having a consistent message over a long period of time. And you've always been about training the female athlete, but also having a holistic approach, not just about putting on bigger numbers in the weight room, but about taking care of the nutrition, taking care of their mental needs, taking care of that courage and confidence. All of those things have always been uh, a presence in your social media, on your blog. When in your career, did you decide like, this is the niche I'm going to dominate. And this is what I really want to preach. Um, and why did you decide that? I think it was just the population that just kept coming to me. Sure. <laughs> and I, I think it's because a, I'm a female coach, of course, and parents really want their, their young girls to have that, that role model, that female perspective and someone who understands the, the emotional side of it too. So I was just attracting a lot of middle school, early high school girls. And I started to become passionate about that group within my conversations 
about their struggles uh, from the girl's perspective, from the parent's perspective, going through the precarious time of growth and dealing with the maturation process and then the, the ACL risk and just making sure that's reduced at all costs. And then just girls wanting to level up and have an edge against their teammates and girls who want to play at a high level in college. And they saw that I played at that level. So they were like, we want to do what, what she did and see her process. And I think it was just that group I just kept attracting. And I was like, you know, I'm really excited about this group because there's also just a lack of education around Mm -hmm. the young female athlete there in 2021 right now there are more practitioners and researchers with this population but I still don't feel it's enough especially at the individual level getting through to the girls getting through to the parents but also at the club level and that coach education a lot of coaches understand that Females are at a higher risk for ACL, but when we look at the statistics over the past 20 years, they've increased. So what's going on? So it's a lack of education, but then also once everyone is a little bit more educated, it's a lack of implementation. (laughs) So you still see a lot of coaches and parents, they're like, okay, we understand, we get why performance training is critical, but they're still not executing it. (laughs) they're still not having their daughter see a performance coach clubs aren't having performance coaches come in and help their their female teams so it's that lack of education lack of implementation and it's why I do the work that I do and it's also the reason why I wrote this book the strong female athlete to make sure people understand what's going on physiologically, emotionally, hormonally with the young female athlete, but it's also a call to action on how coaches, parents, and the girl can start to implement these things so that she can be healthier and perform at a high level. I'm glad you brought up that implementation part. I think it's so easy for all of us to go online or give a presentation or have just have a chat with another coach and have all these things that in theory might work well, or in theory might be better, um, or someone else somewhere else is doing, but to actually implement it is a whole different ball game. And to have that skin in the game where you are trying the things that you're talking about, that you're having successes with the things that you think are going to help these athletes. I think it's absolutely critical. Not that you have to coach, you know, 60 hours a week, but to be, uh, having skin in the game. And I think, uh, it gives you more credibility when you are doing all of it, you're, you're looking up the research, you're following it, you're implementing it, you're sharing your successes, you're sharing your failures. And it seems like that all kind of accumulated for you into this book, the strong female athlete. Uh, when you were writing this book, kind of going back to relating to girls that are going through that middle school, high school age, when you were writing this book, did you write it for your previous self? Like I, when I was this age, I wish I had all this information. Is that the lens you took with the book or did you go from a different perspective? I, I wrote it for the, the girls who aren't being built up enough within the, the system because mm-hmm. 
the system of female youth sports is broken. <laughs> we're, we're still behind with performance training physically and mentally, and then all the other components that go into it, like sleep and nutrition and stress management. So I wrote it for the girls who need to hear this, the, the coaches who need to hear this, the parents who need to take responsibility for what they're doing in the household that's impacting the girl's performance and her, her mental confidence as well. I actually open up the book in, in the first chapter that my experience as a youth female athlete was an amazing one because I had my childhood, the, I had the unstructured play and the, unsuper, the unsupervised play of my childhood from ages six to 13, like we were going at it in the neighborhood and I grew up around boys. I had an older brother. So I was always putting myself in these really hard environments with intense physicality and new stimuli. We were playing capture the flag, dodgeball, we were tackle football, we were wrestling. And it was all those years accumulated of being in that environment that when I entered the travel soccer system at age 13, which is really crazy nowadays, no one does that. <laughs> I was ready to go at age 13. And I really impressed the coaches with how fast I was, how agile I was. My tactical and technical game was amazing. And I owe it to that, that childhood of that, that play. And I also owe it to starting strength and conditioning when I was in middle school. So right up to when I, right before I started travel soccer, I started to learn body weight resistance training and then slowly progressing with the strength coach. So I saw it pay dividends in my career and was able to stay healthy in high school and college and make it to a high level. And it's, it's really a book for, for the girls who haven't experienced that yet. And I, and for the parents of the young ones to make sure that they're not getting caught up in that single sport specialized system too soon, not just physically, but also mentally. <laughs> and uh, there's so much research that I present in the book about how play is good for the social development of kids and bolstering their emotional intelligence and being able to navigate disagreements and to problem solve and overcome adversity. So there's just, there's just that holistic picture. It's not just the body, but it's also the, the mind and soul. And we need to keep that in mind when we're raising female athletes. I really like the parent aspect of that because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are making the decisions the kid might only say, Hey, I only want to play volleyball or I only want to play soccer. But then today, the parents signing up for sports, signing up for club, getting them enrolled, bringing them everywhere. So educating the parents, because I think a lot of coaches understand that one sport year round is probably not the best way for athletic development. Um, and at a certain age, you kind of have to, but, um, yeah. In, when we're talking, you know, middle school athletes, and I see this in clinic all the time on the therapy side, athlete comes in, it's like, okay, like what sports you play? Like, well, I'm in volleyball now and the season got done two weeks ago and now club starts and club goes until about two weeks before the high school season starts. And my shoulder's been hurting for six months and it's hard because the kid just wants to play volleyball, right? Like it's just not, it's not completely on the kid, but the parents are the ones making the decisions. They're the ones 
that can push them towards a second sport. They can push them towards a second activity. They can even push them towards some time off from sports and get in the weight room and get with a sports performance coach. Um, so I really like that you focus on the parent aspect as well. Cause I think a lot of coaches understand and a lot of kids, especially at the middle school level, they just like, don't know better. They don't know playing, uh, you know, soccer, volleyball, baseball, nine months of the year is probably not best for the long-term development, but like the parent aspect is absolutely great. And I think that's where a lot of the education piece uh, needs to come in to make a change in the system that you talked about to allow for better development of these athletes, both for the immediate and long-term future. Yeah, the the parent aspect is critical, and it's it's one group that I address in the book. the The first group I address is the coaches, and the coaches need to start implementing performance training, whether that's through a proper warm up or making sure they're doing some unstructured activities that aren't the primary sport, so they're still getting that free play. And I've talked to people at the highest level at at Arsenal and Ajax, and they're like, we still make sure they get free play because they have to be specialized at that level, but they still make sure that there's these other activities that aren't the sport, whether it's gymnastics or racquetball or anything but soccer. <laughs> so I address the coaches first and then the, the parents, and it, it's going to be triggering for a lot of parents to hear this, but they, they can pull their girl from that year round grind. And mm -hmm. I explain why they, they need to consider it and break down what's going on, especially with the youth female athlete, as far as overuse injuries, stress fractures are a big one with the growing female athlete. I'm sure you see a lot of knee pain in your clinic that takes several months, if not years to go away because they're just going, going, going nonstop. So it's, it's really up to the parents and it's funny because parents will complain, well, like we can do better. The system's broken or we're paying so much money. And it's like, you don't have to do that. Right. <laughs> no, like You can pull your girl from that extra indoor season. <laughs> you can pull her from those extra tournaments or three V three things, especially elementary, middle school ages, high school, you have to pick one sport. That's when you enter that, that performance specialization phase. But for the young ones, parents really need to reconsider. And the, the book really discusses what's going on at the muscular level and why these injuries are happening. And it's from those repetitive actions, those high velocity actions in primary sport, like jumping, uh, cutting, changing direction. That's just really overloading certain muscle groups while ignoring other muscle groups. And that's why the, the knee is in pain. That's why ACLs are happening and we're getting stupid soft tissue injuries that are highly preventable. <laughs> so it's, it's really up to the parents to, to pull the girl. Do you think there's still a big disconnect nationwide between uh, sport coaches and sport performance coaches where the sport coaches don't realize the importance of a proper training system? And that communication is still, and I know it's not at every school or every, uh, in every state, but do you think there in general is a disconnect between getting sport coaches to understand the power of training, uh, for these middle school athletes? I'm glad you asked that question because there's a portion in, in the book where I write about coaches damaging female athletes. And it basically says, 
even if they're seeing a performance coach outside of the team coach's practice, if the team coach is quote unquote polluting their practices with sit-ups, burpees, endless long distance runs, it kind of makes what the performance coach is doing I don't want to say useless, but it definitely hinders it right. when, when they're adding all these unnecessary movements that are causing damage to the spine, that are causing more load to the knee and these faulty lower extremity biomechanics. So it's it's very important that, that coaches really take the time to learn about female athlete anatomy and physiology, growth and maturation, and how to develop training programs around that. And I, I give coaches solutions in, in the book, you can sprinkle deceleration, coordination, stability work in the warm up, especially for the coaches who are concerned with time. A lot of coaches say, well, we don't do this stuff because we're crunched for time. We got to do our tactical and our tech- technical stuff. But it's like, no, if you implement into a 10 minute warm up a couple of times a week that accumulates over time into a healthier moving female athlete. So there's a lot of easy actionable solutions that coaches can get on board with to really serve their young girls, but they have to take the time to learn this stuff. And I mentioned like in my 10 years of being in this field, I'm still learning. (laughs) I'm still solving the performance training puzzle for young female athletes. So I can only imagine how team coaches feel who aren't in the industry. So I get it and I'm empathetic, but that's why I'm so like bold in the messaging. Like you guys really need to study this. (laughs) I like that you brought up that polluting aspect because I think when you flip it on its side where if the sport performance coaches tried to suggest things to the sport coaches like hey run this type of offense all right hey do this substitution pattern like that would never be received right I mean they would look at you like why are you trying to tell me how to do my job when on the flip side and I've been in a work setting where the athletes they're doing back squats and I asked another coach why are we doing back squats today and he said the sport coach likes to see their back squat numbers. And I'm like, this is wild because I went to the sport coach and said, Hey, I think you should change your offense to do this. Like that would never be received. So I think to develop that, uh, that relationship, it needs to come in actionable ways from us. Like how can we implement in the warm up? Like you talked about, here are some positive things we can do. Here are some negative things that we probably should stay away from. Um, because yeah, if, if you're trying really hard to get, uh, especially these girls, uh, happier and healthier and and working harder, but then they go to their their practice and they undo all that with mindless conditioning and uh, not spine friendly uh, movement exercises. Then it kind of undo, undoes all the hard work that you are trying to do. So I like that you brought that up, and I'm sure that uh, probably triggered a couple people that are going to read the book. But that's a good thing. Like we need to press those triggers because if we always sit on the sideline and never speak up for a profession, it's never going to be taken seriously. So I applaud you for, for putting that in the book. Yeah, it's, it's really crucial. And another thing is there, there's a lot of literature presented in the book, but in a way that is simplified and that's easy for people to understand. I don't even like reading scientific studies, so I can only imagine parents and team coaches. I mean, some do, but I want to make sure there's that evidence-based approach 
so that coaches understand, okay, there's a rhyme or reason behind this. And Erica's not just giving random facts about female athletes. So it's both experienced and, and evidence-based, which I think a lot of the coaches, parents, and also the girls can really relate to and digest better. I think it's a lot easier too if you are, let's just say like a parent of a soccer athlete and you just want to know like a little more information, but you don't want to go on PubMed and spend hours trying to find different stuff. Here's an easy resource. Take it, look through it, find the things you like. Um, if you want to dig deeper, like you can go farther. Um, but it's so nice just to have that main source. Like, oh, here's a resource. If you have a female athlete and you want them to get better, you want them to be happier, you want them to move better, uh, to eat better, to be more confident. It can all be in one very digestible uh, resource and they're not spending. And who knows what you're going to find on Google? I was talking about that with another coach or, or another therapist the other day. Like if you Google just like core exercises, you're going to get a million different things. And some of them might be helpful. Some of them might not. So to have a trusted resource like you to put something in physical form, I think that is uh absolutely beneficial to, to so many different people. Has it always been a goal for you to write a book? Was that kind of your, like a seed a long time ago that has sprouted or is that a recent development in your journey? It, it's definitely always been in the back of my mind, but I don't think it really struck me to actually do it until the, the pandemic in 2020, but that's because I had a lot of time to pause and reflect and just really think about what the biggest issues in female sports were and what was going on and what problems still weren't solved. And I wanted to write it because I've seen how powerful the written word is from all these years of blogging and how a lot of the articles have really changed people's minds about female athletic development. So I wanted to put everything in one place in, in physical form. Yes, I could have done like an ebook, but sometimes people just buy it, save it to their desktop and mm -hmm. never go back to it, you know, yeah. or they, they lose the email with the link, you know? <laughs> so I wanted to just have this, this physical copy so that coaches can keep it in their bag or girls can keep it in their bag and everyone can always refer back to it. It, it really is a, the guidebook for female athlete performance training. It's, it's everything. It's the growth and maturation, it's menstrual cycle, nutrition, it's strength training, speed development, power, nutrition, sleep, it's everything. So it's, it's really, I, I don't think there's one thing you can't find in it on female athlete training. A big thing that you talk about, uh, on social media, is just the confidence aspect of being an athlete. And I think that's one thing that gets overlooked kind of like the unstructured play, kind of like so many other aspects. We don't always implement that as a priority in our training. Usually it's, all right, let's get athletes stronger and faster and jump higher. But just having that confidence aspect to not only, you know, you know, I'd be confident, hey, like I can play my sport well, like we're going to do well today. I'm going to perform my best. But also just the confidence of like being happy with who you are and being uh, understanding your role in the team and things like that. Uh, why do you spend so much time on that confidence and, and, and kind of in conjunction with that, that mental health aspect for your youth athletes? This is, this is such a big one. And this has been an issue I've seen come up over the years that hasn't gotten better. 
I hear a lot of just decline in confidence or like new clients will come to me. And that's like the first thing they ask. We just need our daughter to be more confident. And I always tell the parents, I can do a lot of the help with confidence, but at the same time, when you leave my sessions, you need to know how to brave the world on your own. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be there to, to hold your hand. And when I speak to the female athletes in this book, it's really about them owning every aspect of their development. And when they do that, they're able to have more confidence. So when they get physically strong, when they get faster, when they work on their technical skills, when they nourish their bodies with healthy foods, when they get good sleep and they're rested, they're going to step on the, the field or court or wherever more confident because they're so prepared in their, in their body that it's going to permeate into how prepared they are in their mind. And an, another thing with the confidence is that it's, it's not just looking at motivational quotes, right. <laughs> um, you know, the, the book is motivating, but it's also rooted in reality that female athletes are going to face at minimum a handful of challenges in their sports career. But those challenges are what allow her to raise her confidence. And it, it really comes from that discomfort, discomfort of knowing what she's capable of and being able to tweak what she's doing or to lean into risks. And I, I know that's like a really big one about being afraid to take risks, but that's where confidence is birthed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of girls will say, well, I'm just too scared to take that risk. And it's like, well, wouldn't you be more scared of not trying it? <laughs> Or, or when like a bigger opportunity comes, like how are you supposed to be prepared then? Like you're shooting a free throw in practice. There's no real risk if you miss it. But when you're in like a section game or a state game and you have free throw, like how do you think your mind's going to go then? So like if you can't fail at these small opportunities, how are you going to expect to, and the big ones will come maybe in sport, maybe in another aspect of life, but like, let's try it now and let's fail off. And like, we don't care. Like, I don't care if you miss all these shots today. Like we're going to tweak your form or I don't care uh, if you don't uh, if you don't set a PR for the next couple of months, we're going to work on your body weight squat to get your form better. So when you want to get stronger later in life, you have that so that I think uh, understanding like there's different risk. And if you can fail at small risk with no real long term consequence, let's do that as often as you can younger. So when you get those bigger risks later in life, you're prepared for them. It's so true. You know, it's like no one gained confidence from playing it safe. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? Right. Like, it, it's like, you can, you can consume all the feel good content you want, or, you know, hire a sports psychologist or a confidence mentor or whatever. That's great. But it's, it's really up to you to go out into the world, go on the field, Try things you've never tried before, get in the gym, lift heavier, raise the threshold, and that's how you, you get more confident. It's those uncomfortable stimuli where that's, that's birthed. And when I talk to the girls in the book, 
It's like you, you got to really take responsibility for, for your confidence and you have to lean into challenge. You have to lean into risk. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for any of you guys. <laughs> I learned this from Gary V and he says like most people want to go want to know when he says, I'm trying to go, you know, 586 and 500. So like I'm failing a lot but I'm winning more than I'm failing. And I'm just trying, 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 trying. And I think especially with the culture that has been created a little bit today with how perfect we want to look on social media, that we're trying to be perfect at everything. And if anyone ever sees us fail or they take a video of us failing or they tweet about us failing or they go on a podcast and tell a dumb story about what I did, I like keep like, like the message I want to put out too, just to compliment you is like, keep failing. And I, and I, and I guarantee in your career and so many coaches that listen to this in your career, the biggest growth is going to come when you fail, when a job doesn't work out, when athlete doesn't have success that you thought they'd have, when you look in the mirror and you don't see the person that you want to be, that's when that true growth comes. And I think the, the way that you can implement that and, and preach that to your athletes is so beneficial. So they understand that at a young age. So when they become a coach like you, or they come whatever profession they want to get into later in life, or they have future athletic success, that confidence, that growth, that, that, uh, not being afraid to fail, um, has already been implemented so long ago. It's second nature to them. Mm, yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad you brought up social media as well. That's another big piece that I talk about. And, the, the lack in confidence is also because a lot of girls are just outsourcing their happiness to social media. They don't even know what they need for themselves or what really bring, brings them joy. And I really urge girls to social media fast as much as possible. Um, it, it really has its way of causing more anxiety than good. <laughs> and if an athlete says, Hey, I have anxiety that the first thing I suggest is, okay, well, if it's serious, like go, you know, here's a referral to a professional. But the second thing is like, get off social media because what it's doing to their minds is it's, it's jerking their brain around from like the next thought to the next light to the next real, to the next flashing light. Like it's literally like your mind is constantly trained to be anxious. Mm -hmm. And as you know, the human, the, the nervous system so adaptable. It's like the female athlete always wants to be anxious, even when she's off her phone for the meager amount of time that she right. is. So that's just a, another big thing that people are not talking about is how to really step away from from social media. And it needs to be a weekly discussion with, with young girls. Otherwise they're not, they're not going to get it. And like one of the easiest ways to tell if it's uh, causing that anxious or causing an issue is uh, for any coach or athlete listening, when you wake up in the morning, what's like the first thing you think of, if you think of going check your phone, like there's probably a problem there. There's probably a dependency. There's probably an issue. Like talk to, you know, if you have a spouse, like talk to your spouse, like go eat some food, like go on a walk outside. And, and I've seen you talk about that so many different times and uh, it's there. So if you're, if you're always thinking about your phone, if you're always thinking about like who, uh, what should I post today or things like that, that is a sign that, Hey, like these things need to be shifted because that stuff um, 
it has a place, right? If you're, if you're an athlete, it's different. If you're a coach and you're trying to use it to advance your career, that's another different thing. But yes, I think way too much. And same thing with television, same thing. Um, just like with our food choice, there's so many different things where we don't have a great hold on it right now and we need to get better at it. And there's no limits to some of this stuff. You can be on your phone, you can be on Netflix all day long, um, but using it in the right way, using it in shorter amounts, using it to be a positive in your life, I think that message needs to be to be out there more. And I'm glad you touched on that um, because athletes do need to hear that. And it's hard because they're not going to listen to their parents, right? And their friends are doing the same things they are. But when they have someone like you in their life that they look up to, uh, that message probably uh, sounds a little bit louder in their heads when they go home at night. I hope so. You know, I, I hope people just find the, the advice useful. And it, again, it always comes back to taking responsibility for your life and looking at all the pieces of your life or your sport performance and constantly improving them. So constantly improving your strength training, your, your mental confidence, your nutrition, how, how much time you're spending on social media, like you should be a more improved person today than you were yesterday and, and every single day. So that's, that's another big part of it is really analyzing where you're falling short and how you can do better and be being very aware of it. 100%. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the podcast for any coaches listening. If you want the strong female athlete book, you can find the link in the show notes, or if you uh, follow Erica on social media, which you should be, uh, it's going to be all over social media. You can find the book on Amazon too. Thank you so much for contributing to the world of strength and conditioning and uh, just being an awesome resource uh, for everybody, but especially the young female athlete. That's just a, a population that is underserved, like you talked about, um, but they need the resources to excel and to be awesome because we need we need awesome female athletes to look up to, to aspire to be uh, to be role models for 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 boys and girls all across the country so thank you erica i appreciate it and uh great job on, on, on getting the book done thanks for having me